Welcome to the lounge, heroes. That little divergence from our usual approach seems wildly appropriate today, as I have on the incomparable James D'Amato. That's right. From the One Shot Network, um, we have his dulcet tones speaking with you for about an hour or so. Uh, he's talking about his book, The Ultimate RPG Character Backstory Guide, prompts and activities to create the most interesting story for your character, which will be coming out in October, so check that out. And uh, as always, I am Jesse Doc Palindrome Edmund, bringing to you the best in the gaming industry with The Lounge. And so I've gotten a lot of uh, the James James D'Amato's character um, of Bacta. So I mm-hmm. feel like I know your voice as Bacta better than maybe I know. Ah, so perhaps I should be doing the interview like this. <laughs> yes, exactly. And you actually, you just did um, the, um, uh, the character creation podcast where you talked about voices and talked oh, about yeah. difference. Yeah. Um, but what's funny is, so I like to go back and watch uh, movies based on comic books, even if they're not very good to just kind of see what the value is. It's it's a weird thing that I do. And I went Mm -hmm. back last summer and I was watching barbed wire and, um, a little ways into that movie, not, not too far. Uh, I was kind of like, maybe I think I was probably on, um, TV tropes or something, kind of looking up stuff. And like looking up references and stuff. And um, I have to say, stop saying and stuff, but it's early for me. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I hear a voice coming from the movie and I'm like, Bacta? And it's Tamura Morrison. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who's like the, 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 the male like hero lead in that film. No, yeah, no, he's he's Papa Clone. He's yeah. uh he's the voice that oh god, I'm trying to remember the voice actor that the the Clone Wars um because that's that is technically the voice actor that I am aping is uh the voice actor who plays the clones in the Clone Wars. Um but uh yeah, that that actor is is doing their version of Tamora Morrison. Yeah. So <laughs> in a weird way, I'm doing that impression as well when I'm doing Bacta. And but but uh, there was very much that moment of like you know I don't I don't even remember what the line was but I was like I know that voice very well. (laughs) D. Bradley Baker is is the voice from the Clone Wars. So yeah, D. Bradley Baker is doing a Tamora Morrison who who's the clone? Right, he's he's the guy. He's you know Jango Fett. They made all the clones based off him, And, and. but but that tells me like you're you're a fantastic voice actor do you do other voice acting at all um i don't um and one of the reasons that i don't is it always felt like there was a tremendous amount of effort to break into that field Mm. um and i was sort of like looking at that as a potential career prospect 
around the same time that one shot was really gaining steam um so it came down to me like as as far as a business decision is well i can either be investing my time in uh getting a demo tape out there of, of paying for you know whatever studio time uh people think is necessary for me because like i feel like the recordings that i make uh as part of one shot are pretty good but the standards are different all around the industry um and like it, it just it felt very opaque as to how you actually get an agent and and break into the field um it's something that i'd definitely be open to it's it just it can't be taking up so much of my time to try and get into it um so i decided instead to like take this thing one shot which was half a hobby and and half job yeah. and like really see see what i could do with it um and i you know it worked out uh like i said voice acting has actually kind of always been a dream like i, I would love to to try it out um especially voice acting for animation or, or video games uh doing something creative like i mean commercial reads i'm sure would be fantastic and, and pay very well and i would appreciate that um but uh you know i i i love acting and performance and anytime you get the opportunity to do that is is good for me um so yeah it, so it, it, it's not as hard a field to break into over the course of the like the last three years as it used hmm. to um so it might be worth it it might be worth it for you and i to check in on on that uh uh off off mic simply because i have some friends that do voice acting and they've encouraged me to do it but they've used my quote unquote studio, which is essentially my basement with a, with a four track board, um, to, to do recording for like professional level stuff. And they're like, yeah, huh. well, this is better than a lot of the stuff that people have. Well, I mean, I, I have to imagine our new one shot studio would be equally acceptable. Um, yeah, I'll have to, I'll have to look into that again. It, it, it's something that I've always been like interested in. Um, and especially I, I hear that it's like kind of a competitive field where you always kind of have to be available and that i sort of work a job where I am able to drop everything and come back to it because the only boss that I have to answer to is me. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, we'll have to connect on that because I think, I think, uh, I, I, I actually don't have the ability to drop everything all the time. And, uh, and I choose to, for certain things like this. Um, you know, where, where it's like, oh, I love doing these things and everything like that. But if, if, uh, that's something that I'm, I'm investigating more. So I'll, I'll follow up on, but I know you do, um, do you still do improv? Um, so I don't get a lot of time to do improv these days. Um, like th there was a time back, uh, I want to, it was actually back pretty early in the history of one shot. It must have been around when the horror on Mount Holy Cross episodes were coming out. So really, really early in, in my one shot career, um, I was still doing auditions um, with uh, IO trying to get on a house company. Um, and I had just like passed uh, the graduation shows where they draft most of their Herald team performers out of. Um, and I didn't get picked on that round, which meant that I would either have to re-enroll in their classes to go through another set of uh, show 
preparations or I would have to uh, wait for the audition periods and legitimately audition. And I felt sort of like it was when I started one shot, uh, I was sort of in a rough space career wise um, because like I felt like I had a lot of skill, um, but I didn't think that, uh, you know, for whatever reason, I wasn't the person that, that people were looking for when they were doing those auditions. So I felt kind of defeated. But one shot was, you know, getting like a thousand downloads and at the time because i had been podcasting for a year at that point i i was like this is incredible a thousand downloads is is more than i could fathom uh getting for a show so i was like we could either really devote ourselves to you know going and auditioning here or i could really see where this one shot thing takes me um and I ultimately decided that, uh, you know, I wasn't I wasn't going to put my success in the hands of some uh, audition, uh, some herald commissioner uh, working at I.O. I was going to uh, put it in the hands of like an audience and, and say, you know, we'll let them be the judge of, of you know, my my talent and whatnot um, to see if like this this one shot thing had legs. And it, it turns out that that it did. Uh, sort of like at the end of the day, like I still love improv. I love watching it. I'm definitely rusty. Uh, whenever there is an improv situation uh, where I have to like be standing up and like walking around, I feel awkward in my own body because I'm so used to be able to being able to do anything with my voice. Uh, and, you know, we, we, we all know that like uh, role playing games are essentially complex improv forms anyway. So I, it's not that I am separated from improv, but uh, what I do is so separated from what people normally produce on stages that uh, it, it feels different now when I return to it. And I, I'm very blessed that I've got a lot of friends who are still part of the improv community and I, I still get to see shows and enjoy all that. Um, but it's, it's like a different world. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Well, Cause I do, um, I've done improv for about 18 years. Oh, wow. 19 years. Oof. Uh, I'm super old. Um, <laughs> but, uh, with, with a, a group called uh, nuts and bolts comedy improv. Um, and I do, I do drop that name on, on my interview show. Um, but, uh, um, it's funny how the parallels between playing games and improv improv are, um, are so like, like interesting, like, like just being a part of that. And I think like, playing games has helped my improv and improv has helped me playing games, but it's not like there's, it's still two skills. Yeah. You know, the funny thing about uh, playing games about role-playing games specifically is they are designed to cultivate the kind of improv experience that uh, especially for people who want to do it professionally, that your classes are trying to drill into your head and into your being. Because ultimately, uh, like the advice that a lot of teachers have when they're saying things like you've got to get out of your head um, and you've got to be performing for yourself is that they're trying to teach you um, the path to good improvising. 
is that you don't care specifically about the audience reaction and you're more focused on developing uh, the scene and the craft for yourself, which a role-playing game, the target audience is the players, meaning those players have to be enjoying what is happening themselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and there's, there's no external audience that they have to worry about pleasing. So if you can master the sort of improv that, that you do in games, like you can adopt the mentality that a lot of classes really struggle to get people to. Um, And on top of that, I just think um, improv games and improv forms are great, uh, but they are not designed with the meticulous intentionality of a role-playing game. I still look at something like a Jason Morning stars Fiasco, Mm -hmm. and you can take Fiasco and the structure of Fiasco, and you can hand that structure to non-improvisers, and they will produce a better, stronger piece than an experienced Herald team who's just sort of uh, throwing something together. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's because Fiasco identifies, well, what is the core of improv? Uh, what makes a good scene work? And that's relationships. And it meticulously builds relationships at the start. And then everything after that is essentially Herald structure and it lets you go. Um, so it's it's one of those things where I, I really admire improv and I think there's a lot of great lessons that, that gamers can get out of improv in instruction and whatnot. But uh, with role-playing games, I, I feel like uh, the improv community has so much to learn. Yeah. And if uh, they'd stop and uh, take a moment to listen, I, I think artistically we'd be in a much more interesting place. Well, it, I think it's it's awesome that there's so many um, uh, uh, actual play podcasts out there where improvisers are actually playing these games and it, it kind of, it makes for great entertainment. Um, but I, you also see like these, the, these uh, improvers who are out there basically creating something that is different from what they would create on stage even a long form improviser is still going to maybe inhabit that character for one night. Um, yeah. But, but now they're like, Oh, like I'm inhabiting this character for a long, long time. Like that character's developing and changing. Um, you did that with Bacta, you know, that character changed from. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, well, I, it, it's, and like Johnny did that with Lenick and yeah. I, I think like Lenick development speaks, uh, to, to how interesting that is. Actual play is one of the few mediums that actually fully engages the improvisers, uh, set. um, like in, in a way that, uh, so many other things don't because like as improvisers, we develop this, this really interesting critical skill of spontaneously developing narratives and establishing strong relationships and whatnot. And improv is supposed to be like a lauded skill for actors to have, mm-hmm. um, and different production companies look for that when they're casting. But at the end of the day, they still want you reading their script. Right. Um, <laughs> So right. it's it, like we, we don't get to use that skill in another context and actual play like comes along. It's like, 
oh, this is the thing, unless you are creating specific improv spaces for your acting. Um, and I can point to things like Hello from the Magic Tavern and improvised Star Trek and say, yeah, those are people taking the improv skills and applying it to a, a different medium successfully and still getting like long form stories out of that and the same sort of character development, but like actual play is this other new, neat, cool thing uh, that improvisers uh, do very well in because it's it's extremely suited to the rigorous training that that we've put ourselves through. Yeah, and it, well, you you mentioned Hello from the Magic Tavern, and I describe that to my to my improv friends and to my gamer friends in two different ways. To my gamer friends, I say it's Dungeons and Dragons without the rules, mm -hmm. and to my improv friends, I say it's it's like an improv improvised radio show about Dungeons and Dragons, but in both ways, like it's, it's kind of like, you know, Oh, this is what this is. And it's defining it in your terms. Um, but I, but I, it, it's interesting that you note both of those because I think that those, uh, um, I haven't listened to a lot of improvised Star Trek, but, um, I know hello from the magic tavern sort of has its own rules, but the story continues and, you know, um, I, I think personally, and, and I do love both shows, I think personally improvised Star Trek has a deeper internal consistency uh, with characterization. Uh, the one thing that I think uh, that rubs people the wrong way continuity wise is they also develop those characters in their stage shows, which are not recorded. Uh, um, so occasionally you hit major character development moments. You go, wait, when, when did that happen? And it's like, well, it, it happened on stage in Chicago and, and you weren't there for the show. So you, huh. you didn't get to see it. Um, but I like, I, I love hello from the magic tavern, uh, dearly. Um, but I think what Matt young is doing, uh, with, uh, John Kelly and Chris Rathjen, uh, and, and all the others over at, uh, improvised star Trek is a little bit more impressive, uh, character wise and continuity wise than, uh, hello from the magic tavern, but they're both very good. Yeah. Um, I just, Hello from the Magic Tavern is extremely popular, and I would love people to listen to that show. But I think Improvised Star Trek uh, is is owed uh, a lot more uh, recognition for what's happening over there. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll I'll give it another try. I, I think um, I felt a little bit like like the the inroad was a little tough for me. Um, but I, I would suggest listening to some of the recent episodes. Uh, there's a performer there who I really want to get on more one shot stuff uh, named Eli Mandel, um, who for the longest time was one of JPC's roommates. Uh, <laughs> and he is so phenomenally funny. Yeah. He, he's just incredibly gifted as a performer and he uses it so well. His character on improvised star Trek is uh uh, Rip Stipley, who is a uh, Maki terrorist who uh, has joined the Federation as an acting doctor. And he <laughs> like he has no medical training and he steps on the doctor's shoes. And he's like also, I think, at the core of his being an evil person. Um, but he's also had a really fascinating character arc where uh, he, he's sort of developed into like he, he proves even on uh, the USS Sisyphus, which is this ridiculous failure of a ship. Sure. He's proved the Starfleet ethos of like uh, compassion and uh, second chances and all that as despite the fact that he is like a terrorist who violates the code uh, a lot. 
he's sort of turned into the type of person who could be part of the Federation. Um, and it's just because everyone around him really wants to do the right thing. And that rubbed off on him. That's, that's really cool. Oh, I'll have to check that out. Um, I have, have you, have you considered doing any more, uh, any, any, um, any narrative things that are, that are like that on, on one shot? Um, you know, on, so, on- so one shot is about games, right. generally speaking. Um, and, you know, for a long time, it was an agreement between Kat and I that that's what the brand was. Um, e- even when we were sort of faced with the opportunity to add shows that that weren't uh, gaming related. And then I think uh, I, I don't want to create band confusion and we can always form another network if we want to do narrative shows that are not gaming related. Um, I, you know, I, I would like to be involved in that because, again, uh, improv, anything that revolves around improv as a narrative generator is easy. As long as you're not the one doing the editing, <laughs> it is uh, the hour or two that you devote to like getting to your recording and actually sitting down to do the recording. Yeah. Um, so I'd love to do things like that. It's just I would need a pretty compelling pitch uh, to make it worth my time because I have so many responsibilities at uh, the network. Um, and you know, generally speaking, I'm always looking at something that's like uh, definitely a, a network show, like developing something that like, OK, we're using a game system to tell this story and what have you. Yeah. And that's, I, that makes a lot of sense. There's it was about halfway through that question that I realized it, that I didn't really like it anymore. So, um, <laughs> well, I mean, we do get some of those narrative things, especially yeah. with a woman with hollow eyes. Like that is a series uh, that I, I, I really love the work that we did on the first season. I can't wait to dive into the second season and continue developing that universe. The way invisible sun works as a role-playing system, like you have, the core invisible sun system which very much is like a role-playing game because it is it's it's a big sprawling uh fully invested over 300 page role-playing game uh but it also has development mode which is this pseudo tarot inspired uh lighter form of role-playing where instead of rolling for things you flip over these tarot style cards that each uh have their own mythology and meaning and you go, okay, based on this card and this card's themes, uh, this is what's happening in the scene. Um, and you know, you can get through a lot of really cool story elements in a uh, one hour, 30 minute period, um, uh, which you know al- allows us to tell so many different stories with it. Uh, so I, I do kind of feel that like, yeah, as far as like larger storytelling projects, I think a uh, woman with hollow eyes and, and what we're doing with the invisible sun system presents a lot of opportunities. That's definitely in my hopper to be, to be checked out. I actually, um, I got to play in uh, playtest of invisible sun. Um, it's funny. My name is actually in the, the, on the box or somewhere in the box. Um, Cause I got invited into this playtest, and it, I felt like I was kind of doing it wrong in a weird way, <laughs> but I will say this. I loved my character so much. Um, I just, I just felt like, I don't know. It, it, I, I made, um, there, there was like the, the, the ones that are like the, 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 the roiling, uh, I can't remember terms, but like they're, 
their tentacles and slime and gross and everything like that. And I made them hospitable. Oh yeah. Um, and the whole idea is that like he had this giant house that was a home to anyone that wanted, that needed a place to stay. Um, but like occasionally, you know, a centipede would crawl out from under his robe and it was always like roiling and weird and <laughs> pick up things with tentacles. And I was describing stuff in that way. But he was this super friend. Like I wanted to to turn that concept of like this horrible thing on its ear and say, no, he's this friendly guy. You know, he's he's the like the Mr. Rogers of Cthulhu mythos. You know, that's great. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> what a delight. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I will say um Kat and Alan sort of expressed their feelings after season one that there were some uh mechanics that that didn't jive with them. I just think I was handed the perfect class and I was playing a character that I was able to connect to really quickly in that series. And our mission on that series was to uh, create a dramatic narrative. So we were really looking for ways to develop those characters and discover new things about them so we could have a really exciting journey together. Um, and Darcy Ross was was leading us as our game master. And I, I think she did a terrific job. Uh, Darcy's like, <laughs> yeah, controlling that environment. Um, and so I, I like if folks have not checked out a woman with hollow eyes yet, I strongly recommend uh, that, that you take the time to do it because it was a blast. And like, I, I'm still thinking about it uh, a long time after we've wrapped up season one and I'm extremely excited for season two. And I would love uh, for new people to be joining us to listen when season two comes out. Uh, that's one of the things, you know, mentioning seasons, that's one of the things that's kind of changed in podcasting since I since I really started doing it. I mean, it's been six years for me. I know you'd think I'd be better at it if if I've been doing this for six years, but uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, you know the the idea of seasons is something I love so much. Being able to do a thing and then just set it aside for a little bit and then come back to it, which I guess is a thing that television has done forever. But um, I, 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 I think it's good that, especially with a game like Invisible Sun that is very engaging and uh, can, there, I feel like there can be a cost to that game in some way for sure yeah. i mean I, like i don't uh, our invisible sun universe is so interesting and the things that we want to do with it um but i i will say um that it is sort of a, a change in dynamic i think one shot has been blessed because of the form of the show mm -hmm. i'm always you know doing small stories in it i can sort of dip in and out of things and never feel like i'm getting fatigued because each new system that I feature is presenting me with entirely new possibilities. Um, and I never feel like I'm stagnating creatively um, when I invest in those new systems uh, for like, you know, if I was doing a long ongoing podcast, um, maybe I would feel differently. Maybe I would want uh, the idea of something seasonal so I could step away from it occasionally. Um, I, I've just, I just haven't felt that. Uh, seasonal uh, work, um, is, as far as one shot projects go, like one shot network projects, um, it, it, it's uh, really just a time thing. 
because like Alan is a performer at Second City um, on the ETC stage. Uh, and he's also like when you're a performer at that level, Second City is using you to do a lot of different things. So there's only so much time he can commit. Kat um you know is now working on her own project so there's only so much time that she can commit i am running the one shot network and uh, managing one shot itself and and darcy ross is like this tremendous force in the rpg community she's doing so much work uh for monty cook uh she's doing so much work just because it interests her so it's like the sort of thing where we have a set period of time where we can go okay we can really invest ourselves in this and do like a weekly thing with it and then everybody sort of has to return to what we do on our own time after that's over yeah and that's i i i think that the 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 idea that that's kind of become part of the the i guess zeitgeist of podcasting though is it offers way more options you know instead of saying oh you have to commit to this every week or every other week or even once a month you can say all right you're gonna have to commit to doing this for a few times especially with a with an ap where you can play for a few hours and you've got a lot more content than just one episode absolutely yeah so um yeah i by the way i wanted to ask you uh not to get too in the woods with like like how the sausage is made necessarily but do you do the editing uh yeah for one shot absolutely yeah okay i actually just described um uh editing uh an ap as uh trying to um herd cats and then uh and then make release footage that looks like you successfully herded cats. Um, so <laughs> that's, that's interesting. I mean, for, for one shot, uh, I feel like not much gets cut out of those episodes. Like if something gets cut out, typically, uh, there are ums and uhs and vocal fries that, that I look for. Um, uh, they, they're usually because I'm working with improvisers. There usually aren't long pauses, but some guests that we have on aren't improvisers and, and do need a second to think. So I cut that. Um, sometimes if I'm using a more robust role-playing system with uh, more crunchy rules, I will need to stop and look up a rule and that gets cut. But I feel like a lot of the time I'm not cutting too much out of these episodes um now like my approach to editing is very different uh than some other folks like cat would always have lengthy edits on campaign because she she was looking to do different things and you know i'm also buddies with aram varshan uh and aram could spend uh, almost 60 hours editing a single one hour podcast um so it's sort of different strokes for different folks as far as what we're trying to accomplish editing. Um, and for something like God's Fall, which is a really polished radio play style thing with a soundscape accompanying it uh, and music accompanying it, um, you know, that that takes a much bigger edit. And Aram is trying to create something very different where I'm trying to like, I'm trying to make gaming feel accessible ultimately with one shot projects. So what I want folks to hear is not just the story that they're getting out of the one shot episode, but I want them to hear the game too. And the fact that people are playing a game 
Um, they don't need to learn the rules through listening to one shot, but they need to understand the feeling of what a game is like uh, when they walk away from an episode of one shot. So I, like, I, although I have incorporated music and vocal effects into certain episodes, uh, for the most part, I, I don't do that because that's not really going to happen too much at the table. Mm -hmm. um, and I want to reflect that table experience because I want somebody to walk away from that and go, oh, man, you know, these people were very funny and very entertaining, but I can really see myself doing that. And I feel like you need to walk away from an episode of God's Fall going, that was an incredible work of art. Yeah. Um, that was a, so, what, an, what an amazing experience that, you know, yeah, I, 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 I get what you mean. Cause, um, I feel like with one shot, that's, that's the podcast that I'll go to. I, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to have to admit something full disclosure, uh, <laughs> not listen to every series of one shot. I've kind of cherry picked the ones like you haven't listened to 260 <laughs> episodes or whatever. Yeah, no, I get that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I plan on, you know, uh, taking a month's vacation and listening on all three devices at the same time and seeing what happens to my brain. Um, <laughs> I'll either be superhero, superpower, get superpowers or become a supervillain. So, uh, you know, looking forward to that. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Um, but, uh, but like, um, one shot is, is where I, the first time I, I listened to an AP of masks, uh, which I've been dying to play. Um, and, um, you did, right. You did an AP of masks. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Um, that was with, uh, I mean, we, we did, uh, two different masks APs. Okay. Uh, there was one that we did with the folks from system mastery and there was one that we did with Molly Ostertag, um, and Noel Stevenson being like the big names that, that people would know on that, but like, uh, essentially, a bunch of people in the LA uh, performance podcasting and comic space. Okay. And that's they, what I listened to. Yeah. Yeah. They did such a good job with that. I had so much fun uh, playing with them. Um, I, I really do highly recommend that episode um, yeah. because they, they took to it so well. Uh, and they, for a short while, were, were broadcasting their D&D streams on Twitch too. And I, I just think they were such phenomenally likable folks uh that it, it is definitely worth uh, hearing anything they do even if it's not on one shot <laughs> um but everybody should should listen to all of one shot um but uh, one of the things i wanted to point out though is that like here's a game that i want to play um i want to wrap my head around i know a lot of people that are playing it sort of in the periphery of where i am um, and I wanted to understand it and I sought out the, the episodes on one shot. And that was where I kind of learned a little bit more of how that's played and was able to wrap my head around that a little bit. Uh, what's your thought on, um, on AP podcasts being utilized as tools to learn games? I think it's great. Um, I, I will. And like, that is part of what we're trying to do at one shot mm -hmm. though. I can tell you, uh, we definitely get feedback uh, from certain people that that tell us that like we're we're not doing a game right or we're ignoring certain rules. And to that, I will say, yeah, absolutely, because um, 
ultimately at the end of the day uh, a game is what you make of it as a game master and and play group and i know that there are definitely people out there who advocate for all games to be rules as written um and i'm just never gonna do that as a player or a game master uh, a lot of the time the experience that someone who uh, a game designer uh, is envisioning for a play group is not going to work for me mm-hmm. um so i have no qualms about ignoring certain things and also on one shot i i'm not just trying to play a game i'm trying to sell a game mm-hmm. uh because i ultimately i want people to walk away from an episode of one shot and go man that seems fun enough that i want to uh, take that to my group and enjoy that with them uh and sometimes paradoxically in in my mind uh that means not including every single rule Mm -hmm. and uh, one of my favorite examples that i like to use for this is something like dungeon world dungeon world is a a great system and i think a lot of people who listen to one shot uh would enjoy dungeon world Mm -hmm. and i i think the dungeon world episodes that we did sort of speak to why people might enjoy playing dungeon world but we did ignore a bunch of rules mm-hmm. um and i'm sure if adam Cobol was at the table with us uh you know he, he might balk at, at some of the the choices that we made but ultimately that group of people had a lot of fun playing yeah. that game or playing at that game and that's the thing that came through on the episode like we ignored outright uh the encumbrance rules that are in dungeon world i encumbrance, did i ran it yeah yeah yeah. Encumbrance can be a fun thing in a game. Like uh, one of my favorite things to do in games of Dungeons and Dragons is give players ludicrous amounts of gold um, and be like, okay, yeah, you've got 10,000 gold pieces. How are you going to move that? Yeah. Uh, because sometimes encumbrance presents that really fun problem. Um, but not all the time. Uh, and almost never in any of the games that I'm running or playing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're a rules as written person sitting there, like it's going to be really hard for you to justify to me why I have to engage with encumbrance um, as part of my game. Um, and why, if I'm allowed to ignore that rule in order to cultivate the type of experience that I'm trying to cultivate, why can't I ignore other rules when I don't feel they suit me? Um, and so I, I think ultimately it breaks down to a different philosophy. Um, and a lot of what I'm trying to do on one shot is not playing the games, uh, specifically the way certain people think the games could be played because I think that experience works really well at a table when the target audience is the players, but wouldn't work so great um, as a performance when the target audience is an audience, especially when that audience has the potential to actually purchase this game. Mm-hmm. So the atmosphere that I want to cultivate is a moving, understandable storyline that highlights maybe two or three of what are the most important and distinct mechanics in a game. Um, it, and, so, and you know, I've gotten that feedback on Friday nights from my, you know, in real life <laughs> group. So, you know, I uh, you, you missed this rule. Yeah, I know. And and but 
that's not part of the story. You know, sometimes, you know, it's, you have to kind of pick and choose a little bit to tell the type of story that you want to. If you want to tell a story about encumbrance, well then awesome. Those are cool rules to use. Um, yeah, and I will say there are game systems where you absolutely need every rule, um, and every rule is written with intention and cannot be ignored. But I also think those game systems are kind of super rare. Mm. Um, one of the only ones that I've run into is Alex Roberts' Starcrossed. Uh, mm. I don't think you can remove a single rule from Starcrossed without drastically changing the system and what it's supposed to do. But Starcrossed has like, uh, this is an exaggeration, but it has like seven rules. Yeah. And if you follow those seven rules, you will have this amazing experience that that Starcrossed is trying to cultivate. Um, but I I look at Starcrossed and I I look at other systems and I I don't want to sound elitist or anything. I think Starcrossed is better designed than so many other role playing games out there because and but that's partially because it's got a much more narrow focus and it's trying to achieve a single thing where if you look at something like Numenera uh, Numenera is a lot more sprawling in what it's trying to accomplish or even like Invisible Sun Invisible Sun is really about empowering a variety of different character choices Um, and at the end of the day that means you're cultivating you know, dozens, perhaps hundreds or thousands of different types of experience under the umbrella of a single game. So it's comparing apples to engines, you know, like they're, they're so wildly different. Um, But so like, yeah, I'd feel comfortable ignoring rules in Invisible Sun um, or Numenera and not to just pick on Monty Cook, uh, but (laughs) like I, I, and, and whereas I couldn't fathom it in Starcrossed, yeah. um, because at, at a certain point you are not playing Starcrossed if you if you take away rules from it. I think so. When I when you narrow the focus your of of the intention of the game, you're less likely to want to pick and choose rules because you want to you want to have that same focus. Whereas when you widen that focus, like you know Numenera and 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 Invisible Sun, and let's say um, I'm just looking around my room. Riffs. I have riffs in books mm-hmm. in, my, in here. Like those, those have pretty. They, those have a wider lens, maybe much wider than even say like a standard Dungeons and Dragons game. Um, and so, so you're gonna get kind of those blurrier edges, and then you could even wider widen it more to like a generic system like Savage Worlds or uh, or GURPS or something. Yep. Um, and, um, and it's, it's kind of like, you know, you have to pick and choose rules when you're working with those systems, because, you know, if I'm running a a GURPS fantasy campaign and I've got computers rules, I don't need those. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, so, um, I, by the way, Starcraft, uh, so I had Alex on as a guest, I think my second or third episode. Um, and I am obsessed with that game. So, uh, everybody, it's, it's a 
tremendous game. It, it sometimes it feels awkward because like Alex is a friend of mine, um, and I go on all these interview shows. And since that game has like uh, sort of hit the stage, it's all I talk about. Yeah. But I, I truly believe it is a tremendous game, and it, like it right now, uh, I as a person who plays role playing games for a living. It's my favorite game, yeah. and it would be my favorite game if I knew Alex or didn't. Uh, so, it's, it's, it's like, gotta recommend it. Gotta recommend yeah. it. It's it's funny because um, at, when I had Alex on my podcast, uh, the one of the reasons I started doing this for Misdirected Mark is because I started listening to her um, backstory podcast, and I've listened to every episode of that. Um. And like, so she's kind of an inspiration for me. Uh, she's, she's great fun to talk to. She's awesome. And then it's like, but this game is also like really, really super cool. Um, I haven't had a chance to play it yet, unfortunately. So there's an upcoming convention that I'm hoping to, to get a game in. Um, yeah. Yeah. So but, it's, yeah, it, it it's a great experience and it, sometimes it almost doesn't, seem fair that alex is not only a tremendously talented podcaster uh but she she also designed this unbelievably great role-playing game but that's the world we live in hey that's that's the way it goes um yeah so uh i i i wanted to actually um peel back a little bit more um because when you were on the character creation podcast you said when you started one shot, you'd, you'd played 11 games. I think it was. Yeah. I mean that, that, that is a rough approximation, but like I had played more than D and D. Um, but at the end of the day, especially like looking back, even after the first year of one shot, I had played nothing oh. essentially. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's how I felt. Um, because again, I, I was looking at the podcast landscape and the only things I saw were people playing Dungeons and Dragons or people going through Pathfinder modules. Mm -hmm. Like I looked around and I found three podcasts and more like maybe, maybe six YouTube streams that were people playing Rise of the Rune Lords together. <laughs> and I was like, I mean, this is great. Uh, this is all great creative energy but there is more to role-playing than just Dungeons and Dragons. And I know that because of the experience that I had in college where we tried different role-playing games. And at the time I thought like I had this really special experience where we really tried a bunch of different role-playing games. We didn't, uh, <laughs> we, 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 I think we sampled a, a good amount of like the main sort of offerings uh, and feng shui. Uh, and that sort of empowered me to go, okay, well, with, with my podcast, I am going to look at uh, different role-playing games. And in taking on that mission, I really discovered uh, how, how rich and vast that world is. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm extremely grateful uh, for my college experience of actually getting to try different games. Um, but yeah, I, I, I feel like I had... I had the con unearned confidence uh, of a white man in that moment. <laughs> yeah, I I, I kind of know that same feeling because even though I played a lot of systems, I probably, there were games that we had at our table, um, maybe some that didn't get played, that were really off the beaten path. Um, but, you know, we would make characters for them. We would talk about them um and and whatnot and this is like you know in the 90s 
but I, but for the, what we played, I mean, uh, we, our group historically has played probably more GURPS and D and D than, you know, some variant of D and D than, than anything else. Uh, mm-hmm. and it's like, you know, when it really comes down to it, that's two systems. I, oh, let's throw in the white wolf systems. Oh, but I've played vampire and werewolf. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly i mean that that is so that is so similar to my experience because like i played D my freshman year and i was pretty convinced by the end of freshman year that D was the only role-playing game that i would ever need to play right and like i would just hack it if i wanted a different experience uh but then i played shadow run um in my sophomore year and it felt like a revelation um it was just such a different experience. And I was like, oh, I get why people want to do different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and man, the way we obsessively played Shadowrun in, in school, that was just so great. And I miss it very much. Uh, but like, I, I moved on from there and got to play Feng Shui. And, and Feng Shui is, was a revelation. Like, because it was different than both what D&D and Shadowrun were trying to do. I feel like Shadowrun is just a different take on the D&D approach to a role-playing game. Um, Feng Shui was using the mechanics to encourage creative choices in ways that I had never experienced as a role-player before. And for that reason, like, uh, really opened my eyes to what role-playing games could be and did you know invest in me that that unearned confidence that like goodness you know you people are are only paying attention to dungeons and dragons and pathfinder when there is a game like feng shui over here which which is just it's going to change the way that you do everything if you would only listen yeah um and now I look at feng shui and I feel that, yes, there is a lot of creative goodness in that, but it's also a game that was d- developed in the 90s. So Robin Laws, as talented as he is, uh, was working from a limited tool set in terms of a design conversation at that time. And now feng shui is like not even uh, the 10th game that I think of as far as like, how do you cultivate this fascinating uh, creative atmosphere? But it was so monumentally important to developing uh, sort of a mentality and approach to uh, games and podcasting uh, that it it definitely helped birth one shot. Were there any games or have there been any games that you wish you could get into more of like like just, you know, do do a long-term campaign maybe if you did it on one shot or a game from the past that you tried out that you wish you could play more now um definitely phoenix dawn command um keith came uh keith baker who designed uh phoenix dawn command and and folks might also recommend uh recognize from the eberron setting uh or or illimat which is a another big project that he's done um, he, he came in and he showed off a beta version of the game. And so the design wasn't completely done. Um, but it's this really cool fantasy role-playing game where in order to advance your character and, and grow in strength, you die. Mm-hmm. Um, and based on how you die, you pick up different powers. Uh, and like that's so cool. 
it's just so tremendously cool that uh i i would love to play around with that more um <clears throat> i have recently for um uh, patreon backers who've had birthdays uh we we do a thing where we run birthday games for them um and uh i played blades in the dark for a few of those um and blades in the dark uh, you know, it, it, it's the new hotness in terms of like indie design scene. Like it, it's like the new apocalypse world and that people are like looking to hack Blades in the Dark to create new Forged in the Dark games. Um, and it's so suited for campaign play um, that I, I would love to do a campaign of that. Um, it, so it, very much. In fact, uh, the the version of it that I just I either backed it or I I bought it or something something along those lines um is the um i can't remember the name of it but it's the shadow run hack of it oh i haven't seen that yeah um i can see that being very good yeah that's um i was actually a cyberpunk player like cyberpunk 2013 mm. um before when Shadowrun came out and i was uh, as I, I think I naturally tend towards being a Gronyard. So, mm-hmm. uh, I was like, Oh, Shadowrun. I don't want fantasy in my cyberpunk. So, uh, <laughs> like, and, and to me, like, I love cyberpunk as a genre. Yeah. Um, but Shadowrun being that setting, that's like, well, let's, can we have everything? Yeah. Can yeah. we just give us everything and we'll, we'll remove nothing from this experience. That was so appealing to me. <laughs> well, then that's the, the funny thing. Years later, it's like, I've had so much fun playing shadow on games and, you know, just doing insane things in that setting and whatnot. So, um, have there been, um, have there been any characters that you just thought were so good and so cool and you weren't able to reach their potential? I don't know about unable to reach their potential, but there are definitely characters that I would love to spend more time with. Uh, uh, one one of them that that I return to that like I wish there was more fan art of this character uh, is Ashley Blazebuck from our uh, Rockalypse episodes. Uh... Um, she was just like an angry teenager. Uh, who was in this high school that was ruled over by demons. And like she, she had a crush on this really dopey boy who is the manager for her band. Um, and like, she could really only express herself through anger. And uh, she had like this connection to the universe when she sang. Um, it was a phenomenal little story and it does feel like the entire story got told but I, I do just want to spend more time with with Ashley and as Ashley um, as that angry teenage girl character because she was just so much fun um, to play. Uh, boy. <laughs> that's a, that, I mean, that's an amazing answer. It's funny. That's uh, that series is one that keeps kind of getting pushed aside because I haven't, I'm obsessed with Rockalypse in that I really want to know more about it, but I haven't played it and I haven't purchased it. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's one of those games that's like, there's so many other things that keep kind of getting in the way. Um, I actually, I, I, when you, when you mentioned that, I'm like, wait, that's in my feed. And I looked and it just, I just put in the, um, 
the the paranoia series that just uh did it wrap up with episode three yep it just wrapped up with episode three yeah i like to listen to whole series um so and i and i love paranoia and i've played almost every edition of paranoia so you know i was like oh well yeah but th- i have more buy-in here you know um but i'll i'll, I'll prioritize the rockalypse so i can i can get to know ashley as well um do you ever return to characters in other games is that a thing you ever mm. um you know it is not a thing that we've done yet mm. um it might be a thing that we try in the future um uh but you know I, I i don't know like right right now so far we have not done that yeah no uh, uh, that's i i i uh i th- those were like i had these like i was like oh man james has so much experience i want to ask him like weird questions so <laughs> well i appreciate that yeah i actually like i looking over the one shot series it did help me uh discover a role-playing game that i want to return to at some point that's will hindmarch's dark um it's a game that as of yet has not come out yet um because hindmarch has uh like he, he struggles with with a lot of mental health um issues and like i i get it um and especially as somebody who was like cat's co-worker for for years and years and years um like i completely understand and, and empathize with his struggle um and i think it's a shame because dark is such a cool game um <laughs> uh and i i would love to play it again just because like it's a game about thieves uh and the mechanic was so cool it's a card-based game about thieves where uh your cover like your disguise or, or whatever stealth thing that you have is your hand of cards huh. and you will play things from your hand of cards uh that like will accomplish goals but each card you play is putting you at greater risk of being discovered because you will have less cards in your hand. Um, it, it, it's just a phenomenal idea. It's so simple. And I think it was implemented so well. Um, will is also like one of those designers who will never stop tinkering with something. Um, and I feel like he needs to be working with an editor or creative partner who can just say, Hey, it's done it's done let, let let's just get it out there um and so far so far that hasn't happened for dark i i do hope that one day it will happen um i think uh community wise a lot of damage has been done to his reputation that like you know i empathize i empathize with people who paid a lot of money for dark like i i certainly paid a lot of money for dark um but like I, when I back a Kickstarter, I always sort of like, you know, maybe it'll come out, maybe it won't. Um, but I do want to support this idea in in its infancy. Um, and I think if Dark ever does come out, it will absolutely be worth people's times. Uh, and I'm going to push that game uh, when it does finally hit hit shelves and like people can, uh, you know, finally appreciate it in the way that I got to. But I would love to play that game again. That's I I that sounds really amazing that's that's i'll have to revisit that as well now i'm going to just listen to all the one shot episodes for the <laughs> yeah. uh, we got gotcha. you <laughs> damn you damato uh, but uh well this this has been great um you know we never uh we never really hey you know let's talk about your book 
Oh yeah, that's right. I, I am sort of touring that around. Yeah. Um, the ultimate RPG character backstory guide prompts and activities to create the most interesting story for your character, which is, isn't that a mouthful? <laughs> Uh, that I will point out the title of that book uh, was designed by the publisher. Um, <laughs> so I will happily take no credit for that one. Um, but it, it is, I, I think, a good concept for a book. Uh, it, it's one that I did not come up with, actually. The, the publisher approached me um, with that idea for a book. And uh, I have been for a long time in, in various interviews talking about a concept uh, that I find really interesting, um, which is the idea of personal play in role-playing games. And that is the parts of that, that make up games where you are not actually sitting at a table interacting with other people. There are huge components to play, um, like character creation or world building or uh, preparation as a game master that you do completely alone. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I would posit that when you are alone and thinking about your character and musing at what their backstory was or thinking about how you could potentially approach different situations as that character, when you're just daydreaming, that is an act of playing a role-playing game. Mm -hmm. um, and so this book is sort of designed to help you engage with that space in games. Um, and like there, there are certain people who, for whom personal play is the most enjoyment that they get out of an RPG experience. Cat uh, happens to be one of those people. Cat um, vastly prefers uh, creating a character imagining the potential stories for those for that character um the, then uh the actual experience of sitting down at the table because for her the world that she's built in her head and the the vision of the character that she's built in her head uh is too perfect uh for the version that would actually come out in play hmm. um and and it play almost like always disappoints her because it doesn't really live up to the potential of of what she wants out of that experience. Um, so this uh, book is full of different activities that uh, you know some are straight up writing prompts, uh, some are mini games, uh, some are charts that you can roll on to to generate character content, uh, and and some are like just very bizarre story experiences that I've put in there. But all of them sort of help you muse about and think about a character. Um, so that you can play while you're not at a table with other people. And at the same time, all these activities are adding things to your character's backstory. So you can go through one of the writing exercises and come back to game knowing very firmly what is in your character's adventurer's pack and why that's important to them. And it might not be a thing like you might never open that pack and discover uh, the locket uh, that your mother gave you that uh, you, you might never use that object in game. But knowing that you have a locket that was given to you by your mother uh, that is of extreme emotional importance to your character changes your perception of who that character is. Mm -hmm. um, 
like that one of the things in the writing prompts for what's in your pack is what's an object that that's too heavy and you don't need to carry around but can't imagine throwing out so like you mm. discover okay in what ways is this person that i'm playing impractical because everything on a character sheet tells you about your powers and abilities um but you know people aren't just abilities sometimes they make decisions that aren't optimal for survival or comfort or what have you um so the book sort of like pushes you in the direction of developing a few of those and you can take the information from that and use it to affect the way you play yeah yeah that's i that's fantastic uh, i i'm really excited about it and, I, and like the some of it is like mini games that you can actually impose on the play of a regular game too, um, which I, I think is neat. So like you can bring it to the table and be like, okay, we're on watch right now, sitting around a fire. Uh, we can play this mini storytelling game uh, and it will help develop our characters and we'll learn things about uh, who each other are. And it's all ostensibly under the roof of playing the game that we've been playing. It's funny, as you were talking, I got a little lost in like, Boy, I do that all the time with characters. Like, there's no reason for this character to do this. The character just does. Um, I there's a, a character I have that's from uh, a, a, an arid, humid environment, and she won't wear heavy armor because she finds it very uncomfortable. And she's a fighter. Oh, I love it. And yeah, <laughs> so they're like, "Here's this awesome heavy armor," and I'm like, "Yeah, I'm not no." Well, we have this leather cuirass that has some weird magical abilities. No, that's perfect. Yeah, there we go. That's something light. And, you know, a few times people are like, just put on the heavy armor. Like, no, no, that's not. She's also mostly an archer. So, you know, there's 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 some there's that purpose for it. But at the same time, you know, I I enjoy I enjoy making those choices for characters and having other people kind of you know learn more about who that person is based on that um so thanks for writing a book that allows me to justify it even more yeah yeah i I mean like i i want people to be able to engage with that muscle and like one of the big things that i was thinking about is uh, when i was writing this book is like uh audiences like the new audience that gaming has in critical role because like there are as some people have pointed out uh, there there are a lot of people uh, who are watching critical role right now who have never played a role-playing game but a story like critical role is so deeply important to them and they obviously see the value of these games but you know it's also kind of difficult to get into a game even in this era of uh Roll twenty, where you can go on a uh, looking for group forum and uh, like decide in the morning that you want to play an RPG, and possibly in the evening find a digital group that uh, you can play with without ever having to leave your home. Even with that, it's kind of hard to find a group and and kind of hard to like actually start gaming. Yeah. Um, and so I, I created the book with the idea that maybe those folks uh, who are sort of uh, just getting their first contact with role playing will get something out of a book that uh, gives them more of the experience of role playing, like actually puts the controls in their hands, but there's no pressure of 
having to do it around a group um, and engages the same imagination muscles that uh, you have when you watch Critical Role and you think about those characters and you draw fan art or you write fan fiction or what have you. Um, to like, it brings you further into what role playing might be like um, and allows you to experience that before you actually sit down at a table and, and, and start doing it the way you see uh, the performers do it on that show. Um, so I figured like this is another entry point. Not only is this serving an audience of people who, who might be like Kat, who really prefer uh, the private imagination aspects of role-playing games. But, you know, maybe this serves the people who are interested in role-playing but haven't quite bit the bullet and, like, gone through the, you know, uh, sort of immense emotional labor of actually putting together a playgroup. Or, you know, the people who just can't, who, like, it's never going to be practical for whatever reason, um, but still want to engage with that space. Um, so like I'm, I'm chasing after a few different audiences. And I also think like if you are a dedicated role player and like you like role playing in the traditional sense, I do think also this book, if you like the style of play that we have on one shot or campaign, um, you are going to be able to use some of the exercises in this book and get a little bit closer to that uh, with your style of play because I, I tried to inject like the thoughts that I have when I'm creating a character uh, into that book. Like the while I am not uh, explicitly telling people how to play, if you really like what I do with Bacta on campaign, you know there's kind of a roadmap to that Bacta style play in that book. That's it. I feel like it's it's a a critical book to have in your toolkit if you're running games for for anybody, you know, to to be able to say, hey, um, you know, take a look at some of this stuff. Um, It may I don't buy books on uh, paperback anymore because I'm just that person. But I might have to buy this paperback just to have it in my bag. I like it's going to go next to my copy of of Microscope that that I have in my (laughs) bag. Um, because it's that's like, an interesting pairing. I, I think I think that I, I actually makes a lot of sense. Doesn't it? Though? Like, let's let's do. It's the macrocosm and the microcosm. You've got both sides of it. So, um, yeah, and I definitely think that like there are people who are going to look at the vast majority of this book and go, oh, this is just homework. I, I don't need this. But I, I think there are a, a few exercises in that book that almost everybody can use. Mm-hmm. Um. And it might it, it could be a fun diversion for for your group. Um, so I, I advise people to to like uh, check it out. Um, it, it, the weird thing about it is like because I didn't come up with the concept of the book. Like I, I've always kind of wanted to write about uh, the idea of personal play, but that would be like a blog entry. Um, and the publisher like approached me with this idea, so I really don't have that much emotional attachment to like. <laughs> the book itself and and so i'm kind of i'm sort of like yeah i put this together i, I think it'll be useful in these ways but like i don't know man <laughs> <laughs> yeah it should be good that's yeah that's, who knows <laughs> is this the first book uh yeah uh, i actually never thought i would write a book um because i do i also think writing a book is different than designing a role-playing game which i i do eventually want to publish a role-playing game um 
but uh, as uh, my main design partner and I have uh, recently parted ways, like that, that might be a little bit off uh, in the future. Um, but you know, I grew up uh, with both dyslexia and attention deficit disorder, um, and like obviously, I still have them. Um, and I never envisioned myself as the type of person who would be able to write a book. Um, but you know, this opportunity came my way and I was like, you know what, I'm going to see if I can do it. Uh, and it, it turns out like it was a lot of hard work, uh, because they hired me for this book in, by the end of December. And they originally said, we want the full manuscript of this book by the end of February. Um, hmm. which like, uh, it was a wild deadline because again, it, it's coming out in October. Yeah. So like the, this, the, the publishing, the writing process took, I, I managed to negotiate them up to, uh, two and a half months. Okay. Um, the editing process was like three weeks and it's going to be published in October. That's that's um wow wow is it like and, and uh, you know i i don't know if that's just how adams media does it um but like it, it, it was head spinning um because I, I think of almost all books as a multi-year process and yeah like, it's I, wow I, my my head's I, my my mind's a little bit blown because it's like that's less than a year to put out this comprehensive guide that i imagine must have taken some research and i, I don't think it's comprehensive and i i also it did not take research okay. um because <laughs> because like it, it's thought like what, what am i going to research for this you know yeah. honestly um because i it's designing mini games it is game design they're like not everything in there is something that i would say qualifies as a game but like a lot of it is is games um and uh it, it it's thought exercise so it's almost like i think i would compare it to a syllabus when when i said homework uh, earlier i really did mean it like a lot of it uh feels like these are homework exercises that you can have for your D. &D. <laughs> um okay okay and and some people might get some value like it's fun homework but it's homework homework nonetheless um well that's okay so yeah but I mean, I do appreciate the idea that when when someone is, uh, you know, thinking about gaming, they're, you know, playing their characters and whatnot, they're still gaming. They're still engaging in that. In it's that. all still the game. And like separating that from like saying, no, the only game is when we're at the table together. It to me is like kind of laughable. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um fantastic james i feel like i could talk to you for like six hours oh yeah uh definitely yeah, <laughs> this could. is this is great jesse thank you so much it, this has been this has been a real blast um so everybody should go on amazon and pre-order the ultimate rpg character backstory guide prompts and activities to create your most interesting story for your character i almost did it all in one breath um <laughs> Yeah, you can you can get that on Amazon. Uh, it's also available for pre-order at Barnes and Noble. Uh, or if you have a local bookstore that you like, you can uh, approach them about pre-ordering it too. Um, it, like it is a long title, um, but if you approach them with the entire title, um, say it's by James D'Amato, uh, 
And uh, it's also published by Adams Media, which is an imprint of Simon & Schuster. So like they've got decent distribution. They should be able to get that book just about anywhere you are. Is it going to be carried in game stores at all? Um, I still need to talk to the publisher about that kind of distribution. Um, uh, I, I think there's definitely a a place like I, I feel like it should be at game stores and it should be at conventions at the different like retailers at conventions. But I don't know how much my publisher knows about that world. Um, and I think that that might just take a conversation between me and them trying to get that out there. But yeah. uh, is, when this book comes out, like I, I will also be selling it as well. Um, so so if I'm at a convention, I, I will try to have copies to sell to people. Um, I, I am very proud of this book, even though, as I said, I don't really have emotional attachment to the concept. I, I think I think people are going to enjoy this. Uh, it, but it is like a weird idea. And, and we're going to see how it works. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm not, not to toot my own horn a little bit, but I'm, I'm kind of pleased that I kind of came up with the thought of like keeping this next to microscope because I feel like there's a lot of similarity in that way. Yeah, I think so. like it, it almost, it almost feels like microscope is kind of the GMs. Yeah like equivalent i don't know it, it, it's it's strange but i i totally get it that makes a lot of sense man yeah. that's all right um but uh yeah so so everybody out there uh pick this up support brick and mortar if you can if you can't support james um and uh and enjoy it james it's been an absolute pleasure um you are welcome to come back on the lounge literally anytime you want to uh, <laughs> I have earned the right to return. <laughs> um, now I do say that to, uh, I think I've said it to almost all my guests. I mean, uh, a lot of them. So, but I have really great guests and I'm really lucky in that way. So, um, but I could listen to your dulcet tones all day anyways. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much, Jesse. This was a true delight, really. I'm, I'm glad. And you'll, you'll be on, um, are you going to be on, uh, the misdirected mark podcast coming up yeah yeah i i think that's that's on my calendar i have scheduled like a big publicity tour um so so i will be on misdirected mark coming up i believe awesome um well uh everybody look for james everybody go to um you know what i dropped this stuff after after the credits so i don't need to <laughs> <laughs> i forgot how to do a podcast Woo um awesome um so yeah thanks for coming on well, uh, see you next time, heroes. Ooh, good one. Thanks once again for coming on the lounge. James D'Amato of the One Shot Podcast Network. You can check out his pods at oneshotpodcast.com or wherever fine podcasts are sold. And you can check him out on Twitter at OneShotRPG. You can find me on Twitter at Doc Palindrome. Come follow me. Encourage me to do things there because I'm trying to engage more. And uh, while you're checking out podcasts, you know, Mr. Rector Mark, we've got a whole bunch of really great podcasts, including Down With D&D, where Chris and the Mad Wizard Sean Merwin dish about 
Everything D&D with a focus on the brand and the newest edition of the world's most popular tabletop RPG. And I hear their editor's pretty darn handsome, too. This little ditty that you're hearing blow through your speakers or headphones right now is And So It Begins by Artificial Music. And it's used under Creative Commons 3.0. So thanks for stopping by. Thanks for hanging out. And we'll see you next time on The Lounge. Lounge.